Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about the word tumult, an update about bowls in a china shop, and a meaty middle about modifiers, such as always and never. Let's start with the tumultuous pronunciation of tumult. A few months ago, I had a segment about what it means to read someone the riot act. And I told you that the official name of the act starts with an act for preventing tumults and riotous assemblies. But recently, an English teacher in Tehran named Marshall pointed out that I had mispronounced tumult as tumult. A tumult is a riot or uprising or just a loud disorderly crowd. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, we get tumult from a Latin word that meant commotion, bustle, uproar, disorder, or disturbance. And Merriam-Webster notes that it may be related to a Sanskrit word for noisy. I'm not sure why I mispronounced it as tumult instead of tumult, except that I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone else say the word. But I have heard the adjective form, tumultuous, as in, it's been a tumultuous week. So I was probably modeling the pronunciation a bit after the word I had heard, although I wasn't exactly saying it that way either. So I'm sorry for the error, and now you too can remember that it's pronounced tumult. Next, in last week's show about animal idioms, I mentioned the phrase a bull in a china shop, which you'd use to describe someone who's really clumsy or careless. And both Joseph and a second person on Twitter pointed out that the Mythbusters have busted the myth that bulls are clumsy in china shops. And I apologize to the second person on Twitter. I know I saw two people tweet at me about the Mythbusters, but when I went back to find the names, I could only find one. Anyway, I'll put a link in the transcript to this fabulous short Mythbusters video. They actually set up a china shop in a bull ring and let in a bull, and he didn't knock over anything. And he wasn't just walking around carefully, he was trotting, and maybe even running. It reminded me of a dog going through an agility course, and it was amazing. And then they let in two bulls and three bulls, and they still didn't knock over anything. So although the phrase, a bull in a china shop, seems like a good way to describe someone careless or clumsy, it turns out that we have been unfairly disparaging bulls. And next, we'll discuss words you should never use and words you should always avoid, or something like that. As many of you know, before I was Grammar Girl, I was a science and technology writer. Even as an undergraduate, my instructor said I was especially good at that kind of writing. And my secret was that I hedged everything I wrote. I wouldn't write anything as definitive as scientists found life on Mars— I'd write, scientists appear to have found life on Mars, or scientists report that they have found signs of life on Mars. In scientific writing, those kinds of distinctions are important because knowledge changes as new data comes in. What looks like life on Mars today could turn out to be an instrument malfunction tomorrow. Coffee seems good for you in one study, but bad for you in the next study that looked at different populations or different parameters. But keeping those absolute statements under control can also keep your everyday writing honest. Some of the most dangerous words you can throw around are always and never. They almost beg people to ask, really? Never? Not even if aliens take over the world and change the laws of physics with their super-advanced technology? 
If I were to write, always italicize foreign words, I'm certain that within 12 hours, someone would write in with an exception. If I were to write, never start a sentence with a lowercase letter, someone would remind me that the P in pH must be lowercase when referring to the acidity or alkalinity of a solution, whether it's at the beginning of a sentence or not. And that the Chicago Manual of Style says to keep the I in iPhone lowercase, even if the word is at the beginning of a sentence. If you go out on a limb and use always or never, be darn certain there aren't any exceptions. So what about fudgy words, such as usually and often? They aren't horrible. When you're tempted to write always, usually can be a safer choice. In English, we usually italicize foreign words. The problem is that sometimes people use these words without any real knowledge of whether something happens often or usually. I was tempted to write, people often use these words without any real knowledge. But really? Is it often? I know I see it done, but when I think about it carefully, I'm not willing to commit to often. Sometimes is more accurate. People have asked about the difference between most and many. Okay, it was only one person, so it wasn't really people. I should have said someone. Someone asked about the difference between most and many. Both most and many indicate a large indefinite amount. Technically, most is more than many. Most is a superlative that means in the greatest degree or in the majority of instances. So you could argue that it's only correct to use most when you're talking about more than half of something. For example, most of the time would have to be at least 50% of the time. Although in practice, I suspect most people don't strictly adhere to that definition. Get it? Most people? My advice to careful writers is to avoid using most and many unless you have evidence that what you're talking about is a lot. A lot of people or more than half of the time, for example. It shouldn't just be your opinion. The thought, I believe snails are adorable and make great mascots, floating through your head shouldn't lead you to write, Many people believe snails are adorable and make great mascots. Going back to my opening paragraph, how did I know that many of you know that I used to be a science writer? I didn't. Although I've mentioned it in a bunch of interviews, I have no idea how many of you already knew that I was a science writer. So I shouldn't have started out with, as many of you know. It's pure speculation and unnecessarily wordy. As an aside, you can learn more about more and most in episode 124, in which we talk about using more to compare two things, this painting is more spectacular than the last, and most when something is the best of more than two things. This painting is the most spectacular painting we've seen all day. Finally, make your attributions clear. I don't consider some say or critics have asserted to be meaningful. Name your sources. Earlier, when I said someone asked me about the difference between most and many, it would have been better to name the person. A reader named John T. asked about the difference between most and many. Finally, thanks to all the people this week who told me where they listen. Stephen tweeted a gorgeous picture on the Thompson River in Longreach, Queensland, where he says he listens while kayaking. Michael listens on his long bus commutes between Seattle and Tacoma, and since I grew up in that area, I know how long those bus rides can be. Randy posted a beautiful picture on Instagram of an outdoor nook at the University of Hawaii where she listens. 
Sue in Adelaide, Australia, says she listens while decorating her home and posted a picture of some lovely orange flowers. Redemption 787 in Nara, Japan, listens while walking to work in the Japanese school system and posted a beautiful snowy picture. And Tej listens when he gets back from work every day in Bangalore. And I was especially delighted this week to hear from my first canine listener. Franklin the Pup tweeted that he listens with his daddy, Joshua J. Master, in South Carolina and loved the segment on animal idioms. (laughs) Thanks, Franklin and Joshua. If you want to tell or show me where you listen, tag me and use the hashtag WhereIListen on Twitter and Instagram. I love to see them. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find transcripts of this podcast and all my other Grammar Girl articles and podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. <laughs>